Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim R. Today's episode 201, and we're going to be interviewing Melanie. How are you doing today, Melanie? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to do this. So yeah. let's get ready here to rock and roll and dive in. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. Oh, wow. Um, my childhood, like in my, my with my family and everything was great. Um. I was kind of like depressed a lot when I was a kid and I really didn't know why I would have panic attacks all the time. Um, and I really thought there was something wrong with me. <laughs> what age did this happen to you? Um, this was since I was pretty much a baby. Um, like if someone would pick me up too fast, I would turn blue. My, my parents told me. <laughs> really? So I just had anxiety. I would hold my breath until I turned blue. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been a struggle with anxiety. <laughs> so my teenage years, um, I actually started getting addicted to things because I um, went into the hospital with kidney, a kidney infection when I was 14. And they, um, they hooked me up to a Dilaudid trip. And that's when I was like, this is the greatest feeling in the world. <laughs> yeah. They, like everything away. I don't think about anything negative and after that, I was just rummaging for, you know, pain meds and, and things like that. So that kicked off your addiction. Yeah, big time, big time. I didn't have any problems with addiction before that. And I, like before I found a way to just um, silence all the negativity in my mind. And I thought that was the answer pretty much. I didn't know any better. So I'm assuming you had some changes. Did you? How did you do in school? Did your grades and stuff start to slip when you started using? Yeah, yeah, big time. I mean, they were slipping already just because, like, I would have test anxiety and things like that. I would only do, like, I mean, I was an average student, I guess, below average probably in some of my classes. But, um, yeah, uh, like, before I even started using, my, my grades started slipping. <clears throat> So the anxiety issues really, really bad, sounds like. Yeah, and depression also. Yeah, I have, I'm diagnosed with the same, but I don't remember being that bad. I remember I'm diagnosed depression, anxiety, and bipolar. And mm -hmm. I don't remember it really starting until I was like 25. Yeah. That's that's kind of when it got really bad. What? It, what well, you know what? I was showing symptoms probably in high school, though. Yeah. What do you think, like, kicked it all in for you? I don't know. I don't know what, like, jump-started it, but out of nowhere, when I was 25, I, I had always been a 
crazy kid, got in a lot of trouble, got in a lot of fights. And out of nowhere, I almost got into a, a huge fight with someone over nothing. And I realized I'm like, oh my God, I'm crazy. Like it almost got out of hand really fast. Like I was about to hurt that person. And I was like, I need help. And at the time I had a girl from her mom's like, maybe you should go see a psychiatrist. My friend's daughter went to see one and it changed her life. So I went there and the psychiatrist diagnosed me and I felt so great because I finally, I finally found out what was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always felt something was wrong. I always felt different. Yeah, exactly. Me too. Yeah. So, and I still feel, I still feel different. Yeah. It's like a curse almost. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's something that's never going to go away. Yeah. And did they, did they give you uh, medicine for it? Oh, yeah, they gave me um, Lamotrigin, which I still take to this day. It does help me. Um, at the time, Zoloft. But Zoloft yeah. had side effects I don't like, so I don't take that anymore. I, I take something called Celexa now. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've taken that. And I've taken Zoloft, and it's, it's miserable. It makes you so fatigued and just tired, and it didn't yeah. help me at all. Yeah. Um, I started, um, my doctor's put me on Paxil and like a few days after I was put on it I was drinking with it and then I had this massive seizure seizure when I was driving the next day and um I'm pretty sure it was related to the Paxil and the drinking because I had never had a seizure before and then something just I guess my brain chemistry just got completely messed up and I started having seizures all the time really so I yeah, and I was um, prescribed a lot Dilant and everything for um, for uh, epilepsy, but I didn't have epilepsy. It was just um, uh, what it was called. Um, I can't remember what they diagnosed it as, but I didn't have epilepsy, and so I just started taking anxiety medicine. And when I would run out of that, I would have massive massive seizures. But they did get it under control. And, well, um, the, the thing that I take, the, the Lamotrigin I mentioned, that actually yeah. is for, that's for epileptic seizures. Yeah, I, I actually take that too. I call oh. it Lamictal. <laughs> yes, it's Lamictal or Lamotrigin. It's one or the other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one um, of them is just a generic name. Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, I'm still on Klonopin, which is a benzodiazepine, and it's pretty yeah. dangerous. Yeah, I was on clonopin, but I, 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 it's one thing I got off when I went to rehab, because I, I had been on it for over 10 years, right? and I never really abused it. I abused it a little bit, Yeah. but that was one of the things I never wanted to run out of, because I, I, I thought I needed it at least. Oh, yeah, yeah. It took me years and years. I've been on it for over seven years, and when I was an active addict, I would just eat a bunch of them and just be like, oh, this is just, you know, this moment I'll feel really good, but I'll have to pay for it later. And I just never learned. It was a cycle. And so every month I would run out early, have seizures, get sick. And now I finally got it down to um, where I know that if I take an extra one, it's going to gonna mess up my whole, <laughs> my whole month pretty much. Um, yeah. But they have me on like half of a milligram a day now. And so I just take like half of a half of a milligram. Just Oh, that's, that's nothing. 
Yeah, it's well, this is the last month that I'm going to be on it since I'm weaning down and I've been tapering down for months, but um, I'm kind of nervous yeah. like to be without it because I haven't been without it for years. Oh, I, I was too. I was yeah. absolutely terrified. When I, when I got home from rehab, I had a bottle of 90 left over. Oh, gosh. It was tempting, but I remember I videotaped it too. I just down the toilet. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that I did is, not. Yeah, I didn't trust myself. That is some hardcore self-control right there. <laughs> uh, I've yeah. had but um, yeah, yeah um, kind of sucks having anxiety and depression. It really does. And I think it goes hand in hand with drug addiction because yes. you, it's hard to diagnose someone with anxiety and depression when they're a drug addict because you don't know if the root of the problem was, was um, beginning drugs and getting addicted or if it was already depression, which is causing you to to act out and, and do drugs, you know. Yeah, they have to figure out which one causes it. Yeah. It could be yeah. one or the other. Right, right. I mean, drug addiction can cause, like, all kinds of mental issues and things you wouldn't have before. So, yeah. Yeah. So how was your, how was your social life growing up? Do you have a lot of friends? Um, I had a few friends. I wasn't popular in high school or anything like that. Um, I just kind of kept to myself and didn't really trust people because people can be really mean in high school. Yes, they could be. Yeah. And so, like, I never tried to fit in anywhere. Um, I just had a few, like, outcast friends. But um, it, towards the end of high school, I found a couple of friends who introduced me to Adderall. And I was like, okay, this is this is fun. I can get a lot of stuff done on Adderall. I can huh. study better. I can do all kinds of things. And um, that was where like my addiction to Adderall came from. Was just a friend introducing me to it, and I was addicted to it for like eleven years after that. So I went to the doctor and um, told them that I had ADHD or thought I did, and so they prescribed it to me. And um. That's when that started. It was a hell of a battle. Oh, I know. I love Adderall. Yeah, me too. I remember I got introduced to it at work. <clears throat> I didn't know where I'm at work. And I do sales. So we were on, uh, we do, I did corporate sales on the phone. And you would have to make a lot of phone calls every day. And I didn't know, yeah. this kid across from me, he just hands me this pill. He goes, take this. I'm like, what is it? He goes, don't worry about it. He goes, but you'll make a thousand phone calls today. And he was right. I was on the phone. <laughs> I was like, ran to the bathroom, came back. I was like nonstop that day. It was funny as hell. But uh, yeah, I remember staying up for sometimes two, three days at a time. <laughs> yeah. When, one time it was getting on like three and a half, four days. And I started to hallucinate and hear things. Yeah, yeah, that's very, very common with Adderall. I, I remember I stayed up and didn't eat for eight days straight. Eight and, days, my God. Yeah, and I was like out of my freaking mind. And before I started actually detoxing, I was in this hotel where I planned to detox, just lock the door, 
not be around any friends or influences. And um, before I started detoxing, I took 90 Adderall in about a week and a half. And um, I, oh God, it was like a demonic presence. <laughs> I was just so oh, out there and I thought the TV was talking to me. I thought people were talking to me out or talking about me outside. I was terrified to leave the room. And it was just a crazy experience that I will never want want to have again. No, I wouldn't want it either. It was I didn't my withdrawals weren't so bad because I was always drinking. So I guess that might have masked the withdrawals. Yeah. Like yeah. I drank every every night. I mean the only time the only nights I didn't drink were the nights that I was up all night on Adderall. I wouldn't yeah. drink when I was doing Adderall, but when I wanted to come down from the Adderall, I would start snorting Klonopin and drinking. Yeah, yeah. How is snorting Klonopin? Does it work? It kind of works, but it's much rougher on the nose. It sticks more to your nose. Yeah. Like, it, not all of it goes down. And it's a little rougher on the nose. It hurts a little bit more. I always put Klonopin under my tongue when I'm about to have a panic attack. I just yeah, me too. Yeah. Quickest no. way to get it into the blood. Yeah, yeah. That's the one thing I still have to kick, and I'm getting there very slowly. <laughs> well, yeah, you'll get there. Yeah, yeah. What are you talking about, Adderall or Klonopin? Klonopin. Okay, yeah. Adderall I kicked over a year you're, ago. You're doing, it, you're doing it under the care of a doctor, and you're doing it the smart way. I, I think you'll be successful. Thank you. Yeah, I'm hoping so. You seem like a smart gal. Well, thank you. You, you seem pretty smart yourself. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> and experienced in this sort of thing. It's always yeah. helpful to talk to other people who know exactly what you're going through and have had their own experiences. Yeah, we have a lot in common. I mean, that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons we do the podcast because people, there's going to be other people that listen to this who have stuff in common with us. Yeah. And yeah. then they're going to feel like they're not alone. Right. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking before. I was so nervous to do it, and I was like, oh, gosh, I can't do this. I can't do this. Just anxiety things. And then I was like, maybe someone could benefit from it. So yeah, why and not? It's, and it's always good to step out of your comfort zone because that's how you confront fears. Yeah. You might have a fear. You be, you're nervous a little bit, so you're technically confronting a little bit of a fear. And it feels yeah. good to know, okay, I handled it. I overcame that shit. I took, you know what I mean? I did what I had to do. Exactly. And it's a great feeling too. It really is. Yeah, it is. You'll you'll feel good after the interview. You'll see. So, yeah. so let me ask you this. Um when did you how was the drug use after high school? How did you do so like you were using drugs since you were young? Yeah. What age was it again you first started? Fourteen. Fourteen, yeah. So you're really, really young. So by the time you're eighteen and growing out of high school. What are you uh, doing as far as drug use or alcohol use? Well, um, when I was 18, I met this man who I had a child with. Before I got pregnant, um, we were both taking Adderall and just smoking a lot of weed and stuff and drinking. But um, when I got pregnant and Is after I had my... cocaine? Oh, no, drinking a lot of... Uh, oh, drinking a alcohol lot. And yeah. um, smoking a lot and Adderall and so um whenever I got pregnant I stopped all of that and then uh 
after I had my my child, um, I didn't really do drugs for for about a year and a half. Like I didn't feel like I needed them. I always craved painkillers still, but I didn't really go after them or anything like that. Um, but one day, my uh, baby's father gave me a line of meth because <laughs> oh, I never. I noticed he was up all night cleaning and I was like sick on the couch from the flu or something. And he was up all night cleaning and putting shelves together. And I was like, what are you on? So he like puts me on a line and he's like, there you go. And uh, I really, really liked it. And um, that was like one of the, one of the first times I had ever done um, that or meth yeah. actually. And um, so I started doing <laughs> at work with another friend and yeah it was well the reason you love it is because it's it's pretty much the same as Al uh um adderall but yeah. it has methyl in it so adderall is an amphetamine and crystal meth is a methamphetamine so, so it's literally yeah. just, just it's one compound away mm -hmm. from being the same thing Exactly. That's the way it is with um, benzodiazepines. It's one compound away from being alcohol. Yeah. And those are the two two drugs you can actually die from if you um, abruptly come off of them. Oh, yeah. that's and and When I went to rehab, I didn't know that. When I went to rehab, I thought that everyone else was in danger. I thought that if you the heroin addicts and the crack addicts and the crystal meth addicts, I thought they were in danger of dying and they were all like, no, you're the only one that could be dying right now. Cause you're the only, I was the only drunk on the ward at the time in, in the, uh, in the detox unit. I was the only alcoholic. Did they help you with, um, your, your, um, withdrawals and stuff like, yeah, they gave me something for the first like three days. They, I forget what it was. They gave me something that I did feel a little bit of a buzz. So I guess it was to get me off. But um, yeah, my withdrawals weren't that bad. I mean, I keep on. I was using for twenty years, but for yeah. some reason, my withdrawals because I was very focused, I guess. But they took care of the physical part with the medicine. They also gave me something called Visterol. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's to help the anxiety they claimed. Okay. But I've heard people that say it for inflammation or something. I don't know. They gave me that to help. And I forget what the other thing was, but it, I was shaking. I did get the shakes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I got the shakes big time. Yeah. I remember I, trying to play how... my guitar. Yeah. And you, I couldn't. You... <laughs> that's bad. That's really bad. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, like when I would come off of alcohol, I would try and try so hard not to drink, like the hair of the dog, you know, the next morning after you're so hungover but mm -hmm. um giving in and drinking a beer and then having another one and another one so it was just a cycle for years like like stopping the hangovers with more alcohol yeah it's one way to cure a hangover yeah yeah and i used to have the worst hangovers in the world like i found out recently that um i went to the doctor and told him about my reaction to alcohol I get really, really flushed and really hot, and it's really hard for me to like do anything. I just get sluggish and feel sick. And he's like, "You're allergic to alcohol, dear." <laughs> and I Sounds was like, like "Wow, 
I guess I drank so much in my younger days that it um I became allergic to it. Apparently that can happen. <laughs> yeah. I remember I I would get I guess it looked like I was out allergic, but I probably wasn't because I would drink so much that I would get flushed, but also my skin would get blotchy. Like I have big red blotchy. Because yeah. you drink too from what I understand, you drink too much and your liver can't process it, and that's what happens. Yes, that that's exactly right. I am um, my ex fiance, he uh, has hemochromatosis, which is um your liver it it doesn't have the correct protein in it to process alcohol or medications. So he drank for years knowing this and eventually he um he moves to Cambodia to teach English. Then um he got really sick because I guess his liver was finally starting to give out. He got renal failure, um, and he was trying to get a blood transfusion, but they had no donors in Cambodia, so he passed away about a year oh, ago. Shame. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's dangerous. Alcohol is extremely dangerous. Yeah, alcohol, and it's funny how that's like the one thing that's completely legal. Yeah, yeah, and, that's what. And you know what people don't think about? Think about, you want to know how bad of an addiction problem this country has? We didn't close liquor stores during the pandemic. They were considered yeah. an essential business. Because guaranteed, mm -hmm. somebody, somebody was smart and said, you're going to have a lot of dead people if you just cut alcohol off. And a lot of those people that are going to go through withdrawal and they're going to get the DTs and they're going to die. Exactly, exactly. That's how bad of an addiction problem this country has. During an international pandemic, we closed down every other store. Not liquor stores, though. You get your booze. Yeah. yeah, like every other store with actual essentials, like food and things. I mean, those were were um, closing very early, and everything was pretty much off the shelves. But liquor store now, you could have it delivered to your house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were they were in business. They probably made a ton of money during the pandemic because so many people were probably drinking. Oh God, yeah, you know, you know they were. Yeah. You know? That's a hard time for addicts, also being locked in your house and just not being able to get out and experience things, and it's it just makes you want to go back to doing drugs. Like it's so depressing. Yeah. I was all by myself because I, when I first went to rehab, it was March of 2020. So that's literally the month that COVID broke out. So I ended up oh. leaving rehab early. I only stayed for eight days when I was supposed to be there for 28. And I came home and uh, I was all by myself. There was no meetings. There was no anything. Wow. Because I couldn't get a sponsor. I couldn't work the steps with anyone. I couldn't go to a meeting. But eventually uh, I tried Zoom meetings and those didn't work for me because I can't go to a place where I have like a two minute time limit to talk and that nobody else talks. I, I want to, I like the crosstalk where I can actually say something and someone makes a suggestion to me. Yeah. Or ask that's you nice. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's nice to have that. If you ever want, come to our Zoom meetings. We do what they call chilling chats. And uh -huh. That's exactly what it is, is you're just allowed to talk about anything. You don't have a time limit and you're going to have positive crosstalk. That's great. Well, how do I um, sign up for that? Is it on your link or on your? 
I'll Thanks. send you the inf I'll send you the info when we're done. Okay, that would be great. Because I was yeah. looking for um, Zoom like Narcotics Anonymous meetings, and I just I don't really feel like that would help me that much. Yeah, we have we do that. We do a chill and chat once a week, and then we do a topic meeting once a week. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I do um group meetings also for uh substance abuse. Um, but I am also on Suboxone, and I get judged a lot for that. Like, people will say, well, you're not sober. You just switch one drug for another. And um, I'm sorry, but I'm in chronic pain all the time from a car accident a few years ago. And if Suboxone helps my pain and keeps me off of opiates, then I'm going to I'm gonna do it. <laughs> and it's all, under most Guess what? Most people saying that? They're not doctors, so I would tell them to keep their mouth shut. And you are yeah. sober. You're the one who decides it because being sober is not, it's about being honest with yourself. So if you're starting off lying to yourself, then you're not sober. But if you're honest with yourself and you truly, truly, truly take it as prescribed, you're fine. Yeah. There's and nothing wrong with it. That, that, that's not fair. You shouldn't have to live in pain the rest of your life or something like that because you're an addict. Yeah. I mean, don't be wrong. Would it be better? Of course, if you didn't have to put it. Sometimes you need it. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so many people just really respond to that negatively. Like, you're just trading one for another. It is under doctor supervision, and you honestly can't really overdose on it unless you take a lot of benzodiazepines or something. But and it's still. not even about that, because people get their lives back. And like yeah. I said, once again, all these people, they have nothing to say because they're not doctors. They shouldn't be speaking about mm -hmm. that. And um, people get their friends and family back. They get their jobs back. When, yeah. you know, just a few weeks before that, they were shooting up drugs in an alley using the puddle of water. You know what right. I mean? They were they were giving themselves hepatitis C and they're, they're switching and having getting AIDS with each other from the sharing of needles. Right. So if you tell me you're taking that person, and now they take Suboxone once a day and they don't get high from it. I would much rather have that. Yeah, that's, um, I was on methadone, which was a huge joke, like nothing against the methadone industries or whatever. Um, but it, it got me high like every day and it, it, did. didn't, it didn't have like a cap. There was no limit to where you can't get any higher. Like they would just up my dose, up my dose. And I went there, honestly, to get pain, my pain sorted out, my pain, like, under control. But I ended up getting really high from it. And so my my addict mind kicked in, and um, I would just ask for higher dose, like, each every couple weeks. And I got up to 160 milligrams a day. And so I was just blasted out of my mind. And I didn't when know I you get high from methadone. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely can. And you can take other opiates with it. Um, they don't work as well, but it's, it's pretty dangerous. Um, and people sell it. Like, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah, well, no, no matter what, people are going to always abuse whatever system's out there. Um, but I still think harm reduction is a good thing. Right, yeah. And methadone, because some people... They're not going to get high off of it like you. Everybody reacts differently. 
Yeah. So there's yeah. plenty of people where they legitimately don't get high. They just they hate the methadone, but they know it keeps them away from heroin and right. and all that, that stuff. It definitely uh, curbs your cravings for for uh, narcotics and things. Yeah, you should be proud of yourself for being sober. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, let me ask you this. When did you first realize you had a problem? Um, When I got in a car accident eight years ago um, from drinking and taking handfuls of Adderall, I drank like a liter of vodka, I believe, and um, just took a handful of Adderall and like got on the road. Like I realized that I hated my life and so I was just speeding, didn't care. And went around this like this very very sharp turn, and um, it was raining, and I I swerved over, like I, I swerved into the wrong lane, and saw a car coming, and just tried to swerve over like quickly and overcorrected, and slammed into a telephone pole, and um, that's when I realized that I needed to get help. <laughs> like when I woke up in the hospital with like a broken neck and paralyzed, I was just like. I really need to do something about this, but I didn't for like six years still. I was so depressed that I just still didn't even try for so long. At this moment or at that point in time, was your depression being treated? No, no, it wasn't. Should have been. I should have been going to a psychiatrist, but it wasn't. So once you found out, or I'm sorry, once you've realized, I should say, that you had a problem, what did you do about it? Well, for um, a few years, I just sulked, laid around, just depressed, and didn't do anything about it because I was told that I would never walk again. So I was um, in a wheelchair and just really depressed. And so um, I, I didn't really do anything about it. I just took whatever was given to me <laughs> just kept going I drank a little bit um but after I left the place that I was staying that was a huge um enabler uh or influence on me I um I got my my shit together and I started going to like a doctor and getting myself treated for the right things and um, then after that, I was still having relapses. I was still, um, trying to get high just on bad days. And, um, when I would get upset or frustrated, I would just try to find whatever I could. And I was at my friend's house staying with her. Um, and she realized that I had a bigger problem than what she, she initially realized. And so she told me I needed to get it fixed or I was out. So I left and went to a hotel to try to dry myself out. And that's where the, um, the detox began. And um, yeah, it's been a matter of years uh, before I could really recover. So you, and I think you, it's a lot you, of people. You made your way into detox. How was that? Um, I just went to a hotel and um, I, I stayed in there, locked the door, didn't, didn't, communicate with anyone oh so, so you did it all on your own yeah and um but i wasn't doing it right because i 
at one point I was I was tapering off of Suboxone, which I was on at the time, because I, I thought that anything I put in my body was not sober, you know, me not being sober. So I, I got off of that, which was painful as hell. And then I, I did the Adderall, like a whole bunch of Adderall, and then stopped that and told my doctor I was abusing it and never prescribed that to me again. And um, I stopped taking everything, like gabapentin and trazodone for sleep. And that's when I realized, like, I'm doing this the wrong way because I started hallucinating from not sleeping, from just abruptly coming off of that stuff. And so, um, yeah, I, I went outside in my underwear <laughs> one day because I was hallucinating and I thought I was at the beach. It, and I really thought I was at the beach. I didn't know I was hallucinating. And so I thought I had a swimsuit on. And so I went and sat on the sidewalk thinking it was sand. I know this <laughs> Get some sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, this this caseworker, I don't know where she came from, but like an hour later, she knocks on my door and she's like, "Do you need some help, honey?" <laughs> I was like, "No, I'm good. What do you mean?" She's like, "I think you should get some more help." And I was like, "Okay, I'm down with that." They take me to the um, psych hospital, uh, Central State, and um, they went over all this paperwork with me, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll admit myself." and shouldn't have done that <laughs> they kept me there for about two months really yeah they could do that yeah yeah um i thought they could only put you on a 72 hour hold well that was supposed to be what it, it was initially like if you don't admit yourself then they can do the 72 hour thing and and um do the uh what's it called the, i guess the analysis or whatever um to see if you're like a danger to people or yourself and instead i just admitted myself told them i had a problem and um they they kept me for 30 days plus so yeah that sucks it was a very very hellish time in there like there were people that were crazy from uh i guess going too far with the lsd and <laughs> things like that but it made me realize like I don't want to end up like those people I felt really sorry for them but I didn't want to end up like that there's a wake up call sounds like very much so and I also when I got out of there I realized that I can never go back there or I might go insane <laughs> so that's another motivation to make sure that I keep my sobriety in check that's great so what do you do what are you doing nowadays to keep yourself sober? Um, well, I'm in a program uh, right now at Ellis Square. It's it's um, a, um, an apartment complex sort of thing, but they do sessions with you to see how you're doing like every week. And, um, they give you, they help you with transportation and with finding another uh, place to live out in community again. And so, um, I just have a routine, I guess, every day where I take my pills at certain times, and I I just haven't craved anything at all. Um, it's very boring here, <laughs> but it's uh, and I'm away from all my friends and family. I'm like three hours away, and so it kind of sucks, but um, it's a blessing too in a way because it really helps me realize that I can't be in this situation anymore. 
I'm away from my kids and my family and I I don't want to be here. <laughs> Where are you at right now? Sober house? Um, it's not a sober house, but it's like a community. It's different apartments. You have your own apartment. I have a roommate, but it's mostly for people who are released from the psych ward who are still having mental issues and um, people actually who are released from jail too. So it's cool. Okay, so it's like, okay, I got you. It's like a transitional house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm the only addict here. The rest of the people are just like, have mental issues. So I can't really relate to that. Yeah. Much. Well, that's why you come to some meetings. You'll be able to meet some people you relate with. Yeah, yeah. The one meeting a week that I do for my Suboxone group, um, it really helps. Like, it, it helps so much be able to talk to people and have people listen to your story and stuff like it's it's pretty inspiring yeah absolutely so when did you get sober how did how did your sobriety come about um well i just looked it up the other day so i'm seven days away from a thousand days sober wow so i'm That's a week away high five <laughs> thank you high five absolutely <laughs> But um, it was my daughter. I found out my ex-girlfriend was pregnant. Um, and that was the first time I ever seriously considered going to rehab. Yeah. And then there was an incident that happened with my ex-girlfriend where we were fighting. I was in her face yelling and screaming. I broke her cell phone. Um, and keep in mind, she's pregnant during all of this. Oh. So I, I should not have been doing any of that. Yeah. If we had just found out she was pregnant, I realized I'm like, I need help. I was like, I absolutely need help. That should have never happened. Thank God I'm not one of those guys that hit me because I was really drunk and I was yeah. blacked out. So the, the Klonopin made me black out a lot. Oh, gosh, yeah. It makes me black out without alcohol. Like, yeah. Really so the Klonopin made me black out. So I I only remember bits and pieces of it. Right. Um. Did she tell you everything that happened the next day and, like, you no, she refused to talk to me. We haven't spoken to this day. Really? Yep. Have you seen your daughter or or anything? No, it's it's a whole battle and everything going on in court and stuff. Uh, yeah. Fun stuff going on. That's tough. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. It's all right. I do this so one day she'll be proud of me. She'll know how daddy is and what daddy does for uh yeah. on the side. And one I I plan on making this a full time job hopefully one day open yeah. up sober house and things like that yeah you would definitely be good at it thank you <laughs> all right so do me a favor sit tight for a second let me do our sales pitch or actually before i do the sales pitch did you have anything else you want to say um i don't believe so you're good to go um yeah unless you want all, to right. Ask <laughs> all right awesome sit sit tight for me and for everyone watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on all social media. We're on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and TikTok, and a few others. I also suggest checking out our website. We have free literature and resources there. You can find it at www.addicts-anonymous.com. And as I said, everything there is free. Um, also, check us out on YouTube. And that's all I have for today. So I hope you enjoyed. And until next time. Thank you.